0: Oh my, you, my? Um, I'm going to talk a bit about the university and our changing society and how architecture has a responsibility to respond to those changes. And then I want to f- uh, focus on the work of my students in the master's program at the University of Auckland School of Architecture, um, who, have done, um, who are working on the future of our city. And then I want to finish up with our next big idea. Auckland City, what a pity, wasn't exactly the title of my choice, but I can understand the alliteration made it an easy sell. I'm too much of a Pollyanna to admit to anything that's not optimistic. And I have to say that lately a sense of foreboding can easily overcome one. Because it's easy to knock Auckland. This talk is certainly not going to be a litany of what's wrong. There's too much stunningly good about Auckland. In a way, that just makes it even more important that we strive to make the bad better. For those of us who went to the School of Architecture in the late 70s and 80s, the Kiwi pub over the road was virtually our second home. Those days are long gone. In fact, there's a Marae where the pub used to be. Anyway, they've gone, and so have many of the corner pubs of Auckland. That may be a good thing. The way we drink has changed remarkably, I think. Lawn Street now lined with bubble tea places, coffee machines in every nook and cranny, kombucha vies with chardonnay, and rather than the big bear barons of old, pubs take pride in their own microbreweries. The way we socialize has changed too, especially on campus. Back in the day, there were a lot more paces of random engagement with other people at the university. The grad bar, on an old government house, is still there, but it seems a shadow of its old self. Where do you go for a glass of wine after work? Given that the university is a place of 45,000-plus people, a minor city in its own right, there are very few places to congregate that I can find. I say this because a large part of architecture and urban planning is about designing places for people to hang out and be together, It has a weird name, third space. But it refers to those places between work and home, in the public realm or on the fringes of it, on your own or together. These places are the real life force and identity of a city. At the architecture school, we used to have our own third spaces, a cafe run by students who went on to open cafes. And we had a library, the epitome of a third space, much loved in communities to provide a heart, a place of identity for the larger group. Well university middle management, waving data and budget sheets, have whisked that away, leaving an empty vacuum at the centre of our school. The books have been re- relocated to the main library, which has its pluses. You can now browse fine arts and geography. But it's a place of belonging in the school has been removed. The life of the school was evident in those stacks of books. There were student models and drawings on display. New books that had just come in were, were stacked by the front door, and students would avidly pore over them as they entered. The librarian staff used to fuss over us more than our own mothers and always be there to help and counsel. We sure don't get that anymore. Now we have more mental health issues could all this be related? The giant structure going up right in the centre of our campus to house a large swimming pool and gym may provide health for mental health problems, but sometimes all it takes is an intimate, nice place to sit and talk with friends and have that wine after work. Hopefully these types of facilities will be catered for once the dust settles on the construction sites. As more and more of us come to live and study in the city, the importance of these community-orientated spaces become fundamental to the well-being of our city. And it's not just the numbers of people. In the early 2000s, arriving back to New Zealand, I was stunned that walking up Queen Street, I couldn't even understand a word that was being said around me. Everyone spoke a different language, and it wasn't English. Things were certainly changing in our city, our society was becoming stunningly diverse culturally. And this is coupled with the increasing awareness of te ao Māori and a whole new world that was all around us, except we'd barely noticed it. Now we are learning more. And as the children of these immigrants grew up and came to university, I was aware of how our teaching and what we are teaching about public space was no longer adequate Students began using their studies to learn about the cultures of their ancestors and in turn asking the question how multiculturalism might be addressed in our built environment here. We Pākehās had made a place down here in the Antipodes in the graven image of England or as close as it, Queen Street, Fulton Matthews Circus radiating around Albert Park, stone churches, brick office buildings. The photos of Queen Street in 1925 show an urban street of buildings, parapeted, round domes, spires, five, six stories high. The street bustling with people, with tramcars, horse and carts. It was all go, and unfortunately, it was mainly go. A lot of fine buildings were pulled down 30 or 40 years after to make new office buildings. That is the nature of city building. Buildings based on the latest modern Western styles are built for commerce. But they paid no heed whatsoever to underlying geographies, geologies and narratives that might have gone before. All that was erased. Until now, when we're slowly realizing their power and necessity, we are being forced to peel the scales from our eyes and look and listen. What gives me great hope is that all this is tied in with reconnecting with a broader view of the ecological narratives and systems that a healthy environment requires. These two forces or drivers of design, environment and culture, how they affect us and are allowed to breathe in our earth environment is what I find most exciting to be involved in at the university. My students and I work on this together, as we both learn the art of standing upright here, as the great poet Alan Curnow put it. My students' work. I shamelessly use the word my students because I'm so proud of them. (laughs) Um, I'll start. I wanted to sort of go through some some of the great work that they've done. Emily Zeng's 2019 Masters of Architecture thesis, Woven with Water, An exploration of the Onihanga aquifers. Yes, an architectural thesis. It started for me with Emily taking me for a walking tour around the industrial sites of Onihunga. Has anyone ever done that? We were on foot as 18-wheeler trucks roared past as we were searching for the hidden remnants of the springs of Onihunga, which used to supply much of our new city's drinking water and still does, about 20%, I think. We arrived shaken but alive at the Auckland Transport bus depot on Nielsen Street to find the Bycroft Springs wedged between the rail line and a sea of asphalt covered in buses. Also, fittingly, right next to the Hines Concrete Pipe Factory. A patch of, say, 30 by 20 metres overgrown with ropo, puha, flax and a small grass area with a ubiquitous, tonalised pine picnic table but there was an overflowing stream coming out of the ground and then disappearing into one of those Heinz pipes. It was extraordinary. Onihanga has a number of springs of water that flow beneath the volcanic rock and the sedimentary clay beneath, bubbling up to the surface in places. It was why Waikaraka, the original Maori name for the to Onihunga, has been a great place to settle for centuries. The springs were very important to Māori, encapsulating the Māori, or life force, of Onihanga and driving the ritual of the pu rei ceremonies that still occur around the isthmus. And I can attest to this. I live um, near a beach on the North Shore and every so often of an evening I hear a conch shell go and down I go to the beach and there'll be 50 to 100 people lined up on the beach or in the water chanting and doing their ceremony. Some have even come from Australia for these ceremonies. And all this is going on, completely oblivious to the rest of us. Anyway, Emily's thesis mapped these aquifers and then proposed architectural interventions, which brought them literally to light on the surface. Captain Springs Reservoir, the Grotto, the Pond, these are their names, marking each one as a showcase of their history and place, And finally, out into the Manukau harbour where she established a round, circular uh, walkway in the tidal stream to enable the enactment of the pūre ceremony, the releasing of the spirits into the outgoing tide. Each intervention she made was beautiful, a reason to stop and celebrate and witness the life force of wairua place, the spirit of the place taking a positive stand against the relentless tide of don't-give-a-stuff industrialisation. A small fact. Captain Springs, as in the road, is named after the Spring, which is named after Captain Holtaine of the Fencibles Regiment who was given the land to farm. And another aside, the woman at the bus terminal was so shocked that we'd actually walked there, she volunteered to get a bus <laughs> to drive us back to our car. <laughs> Nielsen Street only hunger is the most inhospitable environment, but it's how we treat our industrial areas. Is that really necessary? Can ecological systems and green corridors coexist with the built environment? It is increasingly imperative that they do. A question, how will climate change affect our waterfront? I think about this a lot. A one metre rise in the next hundred years, but maybe more, no one really knows. But it means we have to plan and be prepared for anything. Maybe our response to redeveloping the old port land will not be the default perimeter blocks of current real estate. But climate change might encourage us to look at different ways. Of building and facing this future. Alvin Aduna's master thesis looked at large guide poles suspending floors in a tree like structure. When the water level rises, it flows under the buildings, making them like those fishing villages in the tropics out over the water lightweight, flexible, resilient structures. People were getting around in boats. And in another studio that Linda Simmons and I took, we looked at our waterfront and said, "What if? What if the rise in sea level makes the current old, concrete Queens Wharf unstable and redundant? What if we reconfigure Queens Wharf as a new landscape for Ngāti Fatua o Orake to create an urban maraea right on our waterfront, where our city meets the Waitamata, a space to welcome people?" showcase people's cultural histories, hold festivals. What if we remove Captain Cook Wharf and allow one big bay for Walker arrivals and fest- water festivals, coming in to meet Committee Tangi Palaza? And up the other end of Queen Street, over the ridge, Cameron Rousseau's thesis challenged how to reconnect the light industrial backwater of Newton with K Road over the motorway. You all know that great gulch. There used to be a thriving community of workers and merchants there before the motorway scythed it all away. Now it's important to reconnect our city's severed fabric. Cameron created a new landscape of mushroom-like structure forms on a single pillar that sort of spark came out like this, forming... um, random pentagon shapes like a giant um, teserai tile that interlinked and supported each other, and they sprouted up around the motorway roads to infill the void. So an organic blanket-like form sat above the underlying ground level and motorways below, with big openings allowing the sunlight to penetrate down into the underworld, with um, in the landscape of punga trees and and f- and ferns, it allowed these two disparate worlds to coexist. Motorways to continue below through greenery, and above towers of buildings and piazzas like San Gimigiano in Italy. Clusters of four to six-story apartment buildings and workspaces, around community buildings, schools, and workspaces, were sus- were built on these suspended structures forming really appealing places to live. Large trees growing out of the structural mushroom forms. It could be totally far-fetched, but Cameron's visions made it look completely credible. Solution to a massive problem we have here in Auckland. What to do with our motorways and how to reconnect communities. Healing our existing urban environments is a very important task we all take as we intensify our city. And it's not just in our city, it's down south. Last year, my fourth-year studio students looked at Manukau city centre. It's extraordinary to watch the growth of a city before your eyes. In the early 60s, the area in worry was farmland with the Puanui stream meandering through it. Then someone had the bright idea that the carpet of suburban houses fast-spreading south would need a city centre. In 1965, roads were built, turning off the Great South Road onto the farmland to form a few city blocks which suddenly sprouted government buildings, Ministry of Works, IRD and a council chambers, also at that point surrounded by paddocks. Ten years later, in 1976, Westfield Shopping Mall was built, that giant internal retail facility that had became the hub of Manico. Apart from the tiny remnant of the original farmland being kept as Hayman Park, virtually all of Manico City Centre has been built completely orientated to this building of en- model of enclosed buildings, set in a sea of car parks, fed by enormously wide arterial roads. It's a hell of an urban model. In direct contrast to the community it is supposed to serve in South Auckland, one of rich diversity with a high concentration of Māori and Pacific communities who have a strong sense of their culture, their pride, their performances, their colour, and they love coming together. In other words, the community has a heart, but it sure isn't reflected in their city centre. The students' mission was to look at ways that could be overcome, how to create a new urban environment in Manukau, that allowed housing for 10,000 people right in the city centre, that looked at how to make the roads into multimodal boulevards lined with big trees, that looked at ways to reconnect with the natural environment. Most of all, how to make an urban environment that reflects the culture of the people it serves. We took a bird's-eye view. What are the big moves? Firstly, breaking open the mall, on the east-west axis, creating a wide pedestrian oriented open spine or corso, the length of Manaco City linking Great South Road through the retail area to Hayman Park. The corso, roofed over in areas, would be tree-lined and have water features popping up that you can sit beside or play in as the water flows to the enlarged lake, n- newly created in Hayman Park. Retail and office buildings would be orientated along the spine, plus a new library, performance areas, art gallery and workshops. Tao Rabinovich designed a new centre for winds, currently one of the worst buildings in town. What she designed was open and welcoming, enticing you in under the cloak of its exterior and revealing a cafe, lovely meeting rooms and open terraces above for staff break to break out in. A building designed for the most vulnerable in our community. William Cody designed a new police station that fronted the street. No citadel this one, it had a public gym and a place for food trucks at night so the youth could play Basketball nearby. Leon Forges took on mental health in the community, deciding that the office building and car park outside the current Moor restaurants on the northern side could go and be replaced with a large public swimming pool that opened out to the north-facing landscape slope with basketball courts and seating, something for not only the youth but the community to use. The side adjacent to the mall was planted and under this big landscaped roof he created was a health centre so the barriers to seek health were broken down. Karis Collins designed a big music school based around the music culture of South Auckland wrapping around the existing car park that's to serve as the um, train station. She had giant megaphones upended and radiating upwards with music studios inside full of colour and sound, an auditorium, recording studios. The glazed walls looked out onto Hayman Park. Everyone could see and hear what was going on inside. It was fabulous. Heyman Park itself became a centre for a new cultural building of national significance to Papa of the North and its settings shaped to take cultural performances like Kapahaka. Ecologically, one of the big moves was to extend Hayman Park across Lambie Drive with large land bridges. We completely got rid of the Bunnings and Mitre 10 barns over the road that are currently throttling the Puanui stream and looked at how that whole area of the Puanui could be recovered to make a landscaped ecological connection back to the Manukau Harbour. Where all the light industrial low-rise zones are now, we completely rezoned for mixed-use residential, incorporating those commercial facilities and jobs along the road fronts. so we still kept them. We just created a whole different environment there, but with residential above. A wide green corridor wound through the centre of these blocks with cycling and pedestrian paths connecting all the areas safely away from the arterial roads or boulevards as we made them. Schools in the northwest corner over Lambie Drive so students could walk or ride to school using a new giant ring bridge over the intersection. Our design propositions provided nearly 10,000 residential homes heaps of commercial retail and office buildings, and a lot of entertainment and food streets, but above all, places for people to live and work without having to drive. Can you believe that in South Auckland? To have ready access to green spaces and quality environment that allowed their cultures to shine. And it only took 12 weeks. The power of architecture and the power of what a valuable contribution these bright young minds can make. As architects and urban designers, we have an obligation to provide quality urban environments for all in our cities. But for me, our work showed how a few big moves could rejig a whole way a city sees itself. The heart of our city, our civic and cultural centre, Aotea Square, formed a series of disparate buildings All objects of their own time, forming a rather amorphous central open area, our civic Mariah Teer constantly needing help. The Skyworld Metro Events Centre, once the cutting edge of Blade Runner fantasy space excitement for young kids, with its rocket lifts, is now sitting like a large dark mausoleum, blocking light and hope for Aotea Square. So what can we do about it? The first half of this year, my studio students investigated how we ro- might repurpose it. Like, like Leith here, who took off the cladding and exposed the lightweight steel structure. What are the spatial opportunities to reshape it as the urban heart of the city? Especially as the new Artia station corner of Wellesley and Albert Street takes shape, thousands of people will traverse this area every hour. Above the station, Woods Bagot have designed a truly mountainous building with landscape terraces spilling down to the square. The critical mass required to make public places happen is coming very soon, so what could happen here? The students' work looked at opening up the ground floor to Aotea Square, creating an undulating topography across the ground floor so people can move through the building at ease, stopping at one of the cafe or chai stands, sitting and relaxing in the public lounges, an eyesight for tourists, a playground for kids, covered places for markets in winter, a true third space where people could just be in their city. The existing escalators and stairs would now climb up to the upper levels where the existing cinemas were transformed into an urban design centre, a place to display and an auditorium for debates, a city museum, workshop meeting spaces arranged around the central light well, a new roof that has landscaped gardens, bars and restaurants, bridges linking at high level back to the other buildings nearby, that layered circulation of a big city and incorporated within the programme a new council chamber for the super city, no longer locked away in the town hall, but a new forum for councillors, the democratic process, open and visible to all. It's the urbanism that we are talking about here, how we live in our cities, which is such a relatively new and undiscussed subject here in our Aotearoa Most of us know more about sheep farming or growing blueberries from TV's country calendar than we know of how our city works and what we all do in it. Yet 87% of New Zealanders live in an urban environment. 1.6 million of us live here in Tamaki Makaurau, and 57,000 live in the central city. Fantastic. Which leads me finally to the urban room. In a time of our city's most intensive growth, as we lurch from one planning or infrastructure crisis to another, Auckland needs a forum in which to discuss our city's future, independent, open to all, engaged and topical. Most cities from Singapore to Chicago, nearly every city in China, Sydney even, have such a space, an urban exhibition centre, A small group of us, Ben Van Bruggen, ex-strategy manager at the now-defunct Auckland Design Office, Pip Cheshire, Jeremy Hansen, Tessa Ford and I are working away on this concept of the urban room. There is a precedent model, new London architecture set up 20 years ago in London, whose motto is bringing communities together. Doesn't that sound good? Over the development of our urban environment, developers council communities, all talking. What could our city look like? We want to be able to hold debates, there's so much to talk about. We could start with the RMA and the housing intensification, a compact city, the CRL. We could have the council's Eke panuku or developers present and display projects, have a display place for all this great student work. Have a model of the city. I don't know how many of you have seen the old city models of the 60s in the library. Now needing a home. We'd love to have a big model of the isthmus made because we're a single entity now, a super city, with large-scale models of the metro centres. We're looking for a space downtown, street front or pop-up, something. We're looking for people who love their city. We're looking for ideas and passion. So, you might ask yourself, how can I help? Well, you can go online, theurbanroom.com. Got that? Okay, we're just getting going. Become a member, get involved. We have to start somewhere. And I'm so grateful that you came tonight because it just sort of shows the energy and interest in our cities. So, with all this talent, we could have a city that, rather than flounders like it is currently, bursts into flowers. The students of Kante can take us there. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm supposed to ask you if there are any questions, but I'm sure there aren't. Uh, <laughs> you talked about community spaces and letting uh, the community contribute to the debate about this space, but in Auckland we've got a bit of a history of defining the community as just people who live in a space, but you know that may not be everyone who's interested in it. It could be, if, I don't know, if you're someone who works in Ponsonby, you might live quite far out, but yes, say you're interested. Absolutely. How do we ensure that everyone who's interested in a space and not just how we currently define a community gets an input? Yeah, that's a, that is a, as a, as I a, you know was saying you know we're such a diverse and spread out community, um, but I don't think that's any excuse. And I I see that um, there should be urban rooms in every community. They can be bigger in the centre, but but that could be just a small part of a library, say, out in oiraki So, um, but it's the concept and it's the feeling that this. Belongs to all of us, and that we all—I mean—I think the the re- reality is, everyone is interested in their own communities and what's happening to it, and um, and if you uh, facilitate that, even more people, um, get, you know, get involved in it. Um, so I think it's really important. That communities sort of take control of it too for themselves. In some ways, people put in energy. Um, it, it's also part two, I think, that there's a. I mean, it's really um, something that, like the Ur- Auckland Design Office used to be, but there's more. There are um, more architect and urban design staff charged with going out into the community and 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 telling their stories getting community involvement, getting feedback. Yeah. So it's it's an, it's a two-way thing. Has to be. Uh, Julia, sort of uh, I've been involved in working with council for probably 10, 15, 20 years. And one of the difficulties we have is getting community action with the with the city. And I fully support your concepts of the the urban room and one of my sort of passions a museum for Auckland, which you haven't got. But is it too late? I mean, with the current sort of approach, with the sort of imposition of the, of the sort of various planning rules, would it be very difficult to uh, sort, of, sort of modify the city in that way? I hope we can. But it's... Uh, oh, well, I, it's never too late, and I think it's imperative. We started yesterday. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's yeah. The point. yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, um, the things like debates. When I was younger, there used to be debates on TV, you know, where there'd be a panel of people and, and big issues, like, say, this RMA thing, would discussed and we all tuned in and watched. And, and that's, that's gone. But I, I do think there's a place for that to come back. Um, and, and also, I sort of I keep wondering, what, country calendar is so popular, but I think, you know, an urban. Calendar of some sort, I'm sure it would be a snappier title than that. <laughs> um, in fact, why is it called calendar? Um, it would be a really important thing to where you educate people, you show people what happens in their city, or what, you know. Um, there's so many stories and things, and I think when people understand things more, it's much easier to make decisions and understand the ramifications of of our city you know like the metropolitan urban limit i think that's a really critical one that seems to just be um spreading yeah, uh, yeah. Um, let's say the urban room does come to a decision um, somehow. Um, on the Comes to s- what, sorry? Come to a decision about, let's yeah. say, the city or the local community. Yeah. How does this go about to being physically realised in, let's say, the next 10, 20 years? Are there stakeholders involved from the government or is it sort of like um, people coming together and taking collective action uh, group? No, it, it's, a, it's a forum for discussion. It's not a legislative, but it's, it's how... Um, I, information gets fed back to, to and opinions get fed back into these other bigger processes, and I think that's a really important thing to to have. And, and if you've got enough power or you know collective force there, then people it can't be denied. You know, so it has its it has its own um, um, energy in that. So and that's that. You know, in a city, people have that power of coming together at the moment it's all disparate there's no re- no place to focus it so that's why i think it's really important yeah because we do live in a democracy too remember just setting the context of the question yeah. up front, which is the major infrastructure yes. projects that's come in um, kind of... Like CRL, you yes, mean, that CRL, mm. Auckland Light Rail, and even Harbour Crossing potentially coming yes. on board. Um, so yeah. in that side of um, the infrastructure projects, um, do we have any urban design concepts or ideas already... Um, pulling up to speed or trying to merge into those projects at the moment? Well, there's an awful lot of people doing an awful lot of work on those projects Um, and wouldn't it be interesting to see where they're at and what's happening? So, which is, again, another reason why we we sort of want to have this forum, where this work can go up and be – it becomes the repository where you you, – Go to seek that knowledge. I mean, Eke e- e- Panuku do a great job and things go up on their website, but, but it's, you have to really go and seek it out. Hey, Julia. Awesome talk. Thank you so much. Really inspiring. And I love the learning through students. You, the description of the Manukau fourth-year exercise... yes. The issue with Monaco is that it was designed by highways engineers first before anything else happened, yeah. and that's the problem in many parts of Auckland. So, can I propose design of and management of streets for anything other than traffic level of service, please? <laughs> Noted. <laughs> we'll get onto it right away. <laughs> Quite agree. Um, thank you. It's so interesting urbanism, actually. Oh, good. I agree. I, I've done a whole PhD on it and I'm yeah. actually a theatre maker, but it's utterly addictive. Oh, yeah. um, and I love your idea of having these bigger conversations and we do need more television mm. about it and I feel like you could lead on what not to buy. But yeah. to go back to the urban room, does it have to be a permanent place in the beginning? Because there's a heck of a lot of empty shopfronts at the well, moment. Well, exactly. So if you see one, that's <laughs> well there, we are looking, we're actively looking for a space at the moment, Um, and of course we've got no money yet, you know, (laughs) but, you know, we're starting somewhere, so the idea of a pop-up I think is fantastic because there's just so much display stuff that can be put up and and just a place where, um, yeah, like we could have something like this every Tuesday. We're starting small, but we've got big aspirations, (laughs) (laughs) and with, you know, the, the energy of people, I'm sure that'll be easy. Hi, Joe. Yeah. I got a question. Um, how do you think we encourage or mandate maybe good design or good urban design? When I mean, a lot of developers um, will try to maximise their cost and do it for as cheap as possible, especially with the cost of infrastructure and supplies at the moment. How do we encourage good design to be the best outcome? Uh, well, a lot of people have put a lot of thought into that one. I think it's a mix of. Um, it's always going to be a mix of carrot and stick. And I think the urban design panels are there, but they should be extended out further. And it's also really um, encouraging good design and, and, and um, giving it, rewarding it. I think it's really great. Kayanga Aura is now putting a lot of effort into making sure they're getting quality environment. That you know, So it starts to put pressure on the ones who are sort of applying work that's not so good that it's just not up to standard. I think the council have a really difficult... They're caught between a rock and a hard place. And things like, you know, st- when you start to to award and, and good work and really laud that in, in the public, it goes a long way. But I'm very aware that there's a whole swathe of our city that that's not really affected like that. Uh, for you, w- yeah, walking around in Auckland, what a... Yeah some of the places or urban environments that you feel inspired by or, or you've, you look at it and you feel like, you know, yes, yeah. there's hope? Right. Um, good question. There's some really... And sort of within lo- local communities, like, like you know, I think Hobsonville's sort of great, you know, it's, it's developing up. Um, Morningside, you know, just sort of little key developments and places that, that really make it. Um, uh, and I, I just get, s- I get a lot of hope seeing good quality apartment buildings going up along, is it Great North Road or New North Road? I get, always Great get confused. Great North Road, yeah. You know, suddenly the t- it feels like the empty teeth are being filled in to a volume or a scale that there's, and it's good quality and, and the streets are being formed and, and they become viable places to live in. Um, I think there's some... Um, it, and it, it all takes time, so there's lots of little places around the city. You know, the Komititanga Plaza area and Commercial Bay, you suddenly go, wow, that, this is real city stuff here. So it's bit by bit, and I, th- and I really commend those developers who do really quality... You know, it's, it's hard, it's tough um, development because they just set the tone that the others have to sta- you know, come up to. So um, I think it's re- really exciting, our city. It's starting to really become a city. And with the C- CRL, you know, it will really start humming and l- allow all that. So, you know, at the moment we're in a bit of the doldrums, but I think there's some exciting projects coming through too. And, and, um, so it's a mi- mixture of city and then you know, there's quite neat little suburban... Um, around communities you know, what our our little villages are like, that people can come around so I'm full of hope (laughs) (laughs) right, thank you everybody